That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of This Show is All About You. Really excited to have you with me for the next hour. Uh, If you're listening live here in Seattle, thanks for doing it. If you're listening to it as a podcast, thank you so much for subscribing and for leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. And remember, you can get this and any other episodes of this show uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about me, you can check out my website, wordsbyjdk.com, and a revamp is on its way soon, which I'm excited about. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking at my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. And you can find me there. We'd love to hear from you, chat a little bit, get your reaction to the show, uh, and just connect that way. So lots of different ways to get in touch with me, and I hope you do so. Special thanks to this show's longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, uh, which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are hundreds. But they do that uh, not just in a let's find you a job kind of way, but in a, a much more holistic, broad way that uh, helps students empower themselves, advocate for themselves, better connect with themselves and their families and their communities. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, please check out their website at airsci, A-I-R-S-C-I-S-C-I, yes, dot org. (laughs) So thanks to them for their continued support, and you'll hear more about them during the upcoming breaks today. All right, I am really excited about today's show. I'm excited about every week, but this one in particular, because I have a a story that is very meaningful uh, in my own life uh, that I'm going to share today. It's the first time I've actually told it publicly. Some people know uh, know the story very well. Others do not, but I think uh, it really resonates for me today, and I'm hoping that it resonates to you. That's in, that's in the middle of the show. As always, though, we start off with uh, the latest in the news in the world uh, before we lead into that in a segment that I call What in the World is Going On? Here we go. Every missile taken down yes, means lives saved. Yes, here with the German short-range Gepard. Or here, one missile taken down with a machine gun. It's a pity that I didn't shoot down three. It's a shame that two got through. They hit civilian targets or critical infrastructure facilities and people work there. I uh, always appreciate those firsthand accounts where, you know, news reporters get on the ground of what's going on in Ukraine as as the fighting continues, particularly in the eastern part of the country. But as you heard in that clip, uh, Russia is still in at varying intervals lobbing a number of long-range missiles into the heartland of Ukraine, uh, targeting uh, infrastructure, particularly energy facilities, to increasingly make things difficult for everyday Ukrainians all over the country to just go through the basics of life. And it is a continued part of what has become this war of attrition between the two sides. And of course, as each day goes by, on one hand, 
it's horrible because more people are dying uh, in a war that seems like it's going to keep happening that way for a while. Um, and at the same time, as each day goes by, uh, Ukraine gets closer and closer to what they've already promised is going to be a significant counteroffensive against what Russia is doing in the east of the country. And the, the more days go by, the closer they get to uh, Western weapon systems, particularly those tanks from Germany, from the United States and from Britain entering the fray, though, although those are still a handful of months off. And, of course, a number of other things going on, uh, reports over the weekend in particular that Russia is taking captured Western weapons, sending them to Iran, and Iran is reverse engineering them. Uh, and, of course, that's, that raised a, a, quite a kerfuffle over the weekend, concerned about that. Does that give uh, Iran advantages to produce weapons like that that could be used against Israel or against the United States? Does Russia benefit from that? And I understand all of that. Uh, what is worth noting, though, from my position and from with my historian hat on, is this happens in every war. Uh, and one of the most famous examples back in during the Korean War, uh, Chinese and North Korean forces captured a number of American artillery pieces when we were fighting over there. And a lot of those artillery pieces you could break down into, into smaller parts and backpack in places. In 1954, a year after the Korean War ended, um, American artillery was used by North Vietnamese forces uh, to encircle and defeat the French at Dien Bien Phu, which was the end of uh, the French war in Indochina, and helped helped bring in the American phase of the Vietnam War. And uh, it was because the Chinese communists captured it, gave it to the North Vietnamese communists, and they were using that. And so this is the type of thing that uh, that happens in war. So while that is something that is noticeable um, and significant, it isn't unexpected. And so that was sort of one thing I wanted to mention today because there was a lot of attention given to that over the weekend. So, uh, of course, there will be more about coming up with Ukraine in the weeks ahead. Sadly, I think I'll be talking about it for quite a while. Also, though, what's worth noting, something I haven't talked about yet on the show, but is worth paying attention to. Um, it's been a tense few months in Israel. Tens of thousands of protesters are once again hitting the streets in Israel as the country enters the 10th week of mass protests over Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to overhaul the judicial system. The proposal would allow lawmakers to overturn Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority. Many fear the changes will weaken the country's high court and erode democratic checks and balances. What is happening in Israel is worth paying close attention to. Benjamin Netanyahu, is, who is in, I believe, his sixth term, um, he's been out a few times but has keep, keeps coming back in their parliamentary elections, uh, continues to move further and further to the political right. So much so that in creating a governmental coalition or after the previous election earlier in the year, uh, has allied himself with what can only be called extremist far-right political entities in uh, the Israeli government to essentially have a ruling coalition to move things through. And effectively what he's proposed is the ability for the legislature, the Knesset in Israel, to overrule Supreme Court rulings and therefore eliminating the uh, separation of powers between the Supreme Court and the legislative branch. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis have been taken to the streets every day for the last 10 weeks. And while we hear hundreds of thousands of protesters, quote unquote, quite a bit, it's worth noting that Israel is only a country of nine million people. So when we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people going into the streets, that's a significant proportion of the population that is stepping out into the streets, which indicates there's probably a whole many more hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who aren't coming out into the streets but feel strongly 
about what is happening here. And the fear, of course, is that if a far right leaning Knesset can overrule what the Supreme Court happens to rule on, they can put forward uh, repressive laws that the Supreme Court can't effectively overturn or rule against, or they can unravel previous laws uh, in their favor. And a lot of the things that have been talked about in fears in the United States about the eroding of rights for women, LGBTQ+, um, ethnic minorities, in this case, Palestinians. Uh, the, the fears are deep in Israel that those rights are going to be steadily eroded away or outright stripped away by a, this far-right government that Netanyahu seems to be creating. So it's, it's, a, it's different than what's happening in the United States. The concerns in the United States about the uh, Supreme Court is that they're becoming overtly politicized and from their standpoint are crossing over the separation of powers into the legislative this is from the exact opposite, but yet it's still a similar fear on what can happen and nothing good when there is a separation of powers, uh, when the separation of powers between these big governmental branches are breached. It's worth paying very close attention to because whatever happens there is going to have a direct effect on not what's just happening in Israel, but how Israel's neighbors respond to it. And if you know anything about, about that part of the world, you'll know that uh, it's always volatile and always tense and always on the edge of a knife in that part of the world. So keep that in mind. All right. Last piece I want to hit is a way to jump into today's story. And uh, it's a little bit more inspiring than the two things I just talked about. At first, it is a bunch of small choices. Hard, uncomfortable choices. You must decide to tread into the unknown or retreat into the familiar. To silence the voices that say you can't or let others tell you what's possible. All right, that is a clip from the promo video for the upcoming Ironman triathlon season 2023 put out uh, by by Ironman. Um, not, the, not the superhero, by the way, <laughs> the race organizers. But nevertheless, um, it's, a, it's a promo video. And what you heard there were people starting to get up early in the morning uh, and training uh, for triathlons. In this case, um, full Ironman uh, distance triathlons. And that is going to be uh, part of the subject that I'm going to talk about today uh, as today's story for this episode. But it's not really about triathlons in the end. Uh, that is the vehicle through which uh, we're going to talk about. And um, as I said at the top of the show, I'm going to tell a story that I haven't, uh, haven't told publicly before. And while I'm not nervous about sharing it, it is uh, a very powerful and important story in my life. And I'm hoping that it resonates in yours. And while triathlons may not be your thing or may never be your thing, uh, my hope is, is that you've either had an experience in it from another vehicle that has maybe brought you some similar lessons that I'm going to share today, or that maybe those are imminent or on the horizon. Maybe it's something for you to keep an eye out on um, as you go through your daily life. But uh, what I, the story I want to tell you today, and I'm just going to start off with a bit of it before the first break here in a handful of minutes, is what I'm calling the true legend of goat butt. Yes, goat butt. But, and it's exactly what you think it is, <laughs> and you must be wondering, wow, what is this about? Well, it has to do with um, my foray for the first time into doing triathlons. And to do that, we need to rewind back uh, to around 2010, 2011. 
And those of you who have listened to this show for a long time and have maybe caught my, my previous uh, episodic podcast, Building from the Bullet Hole, as you know, about a dozen years ago, I was in a very, very rough place. Uh, it was the worst period of my life. And I had absolutely no idea how I had gotten there at the time, even though deep down I certainly did. I was a mess. Um, I was a mess emotionally, physically, spiritually, behaviorally, you name it. Uh, I was all over the place. And, and just as importantly as all of that, I was hiding all of it. I was not sharing with the people in my life. And I was blessed and still am to have had many people in my life who cared deeply about me. I was so full of fear and shame and remorse that I just could not share what was going on with me with anybody. And I felt like I didn't know how. And so I was always putting up a front that everything was okay, or I was stronger than I really was, or had everything figured out. And the result was internally me completely disconnected and having no awareness of who I really was. And back in 2010, end of 2010, things had really started to take a turn. Uh, there were consequences in my personal life and growing consequences in my professional life uh, for all the challenges I was having. I just simply couldn't keep things knit together. And I started to finally, out of a sense of desperation, share some of what was happening with me with select friends in my life. And this is when um, one of my friends stepped up and challenged me. Uh, I was living back east at the time, and she lived in Southern California, still does. And she challenged me to maybe train to do a triathlon. She was doing triathlons herself, uh, uh, in part because she just enjoys them, but in part too because she was working through some of her, some, her own stuff, in particularly some losses and, and, and grief she was dealing with in her life. And she thought, you know, do a triathlon. And for those of you who need a refresher, a triathlon is a combination of doing a swim, riding a bike, and doing a run in varying combinations. The biggest, of course, is the famous Ironman race, which a full Ironman race is a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a marathon <laughs> all at once. I've not done one of those. I'm not sure I ever will. But nevertheless, that's the big one. But there are a number of smaller versions of that. And my friend challenged me to do one. And I'll never forget what she said. And I asked her, why do you think I should do that? It's not something I've ever thought about. And she said, because right now you feel like there's a lot of things outside of your control with what's happening. You need something that you can focus on, something to push yourself through, and maybe to experience doing something new that you never thought you could do or would do. And besides, you can take better care of yourself doing that. It'll give you some more discipline. It'll give you something to focus on. An ax to grind, as she put it. So starting in 2010... I began to train for that. I bought a brand new uh, training bike. I, I joined a local gym where I was that had a full-size Olympic-length pool so I could swim laps in. I started riding my bike around. I started learning how to run. I was not a big jogger. So, and where I lived, there was a lot of kind of rolling hills and open fields, open areas where I could do that and not feel like I was being watched or, or judged. I had real deep fears of how I was viewed. And so Showing that kind of vulnerability and difficulty was very hard for me. But I started quietly on my own doing training for this. And I started going every day and I started keeping track of the miles on the spin bike that I was doing and, and my heart rate. And I started, you know, logging how many laps I could do and all these different things. And I had no idea really what I was doing. 
And uh, my friend from a distance was giving me coaching tips and encouraging me and all that. And I signed up for a race in the summer of 2011 in Oxnard, California. And it was an Olympic distance race, about a one-mile swim in the ocean, 25-mile bike ride, and a 10K. And that sounded huge to me. And so I, I packed up all my stuff. I shipped it all out there. And I went out, went out there. And um, <laughs> there was a lot that happened that day. Uh, but what, what it kicked off was the start of something that turned out to be really important. Unbeknownst to me, this was in the summer of, of 2011. Unbeknownst to me, six months later is when everything would change, when the bottom would fall out of everything in my life and I had to start all over again. And in effect, what I learned through these two races, but one in particular, where the goat butt story comes from, um, I was given, without knowing that I was being given it at the time, I was being given the tools that I needed for when things really got bad in my personal life and my overall life. The skills, the tools, and the experience to know that I could get through that and that I could do something that I never thought I'd have to do, rebuild a life. Uh, and I would not have learned that, at least not in the same way, um, had I not had this experience that led to the true legend of goat butt. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you that story, but I wanted to give you that, uh, that uh, sort of preamble at the front end. So come on back to hear exactly what the heck I'm talking about on this show is all about you. Stick around. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Today's story is the true legend of goat butt. And I uh, gave you a sort of the, the background uh, to this experience that happened during my first run of doing triathlons back in 2011. And, but it turned out to be much bigger uh, than just doing triathlons, as big of a deal as that was. So after a year of training in, in the summer of 2011, I went out to Oxnard, California, and competed in my first triathlon, which was an Olympic distance one. And... Uh, I wrote about it at wordsbyjdk.com. There's a story there called The First Buoy, where um, after a year of training, I hit the ocean. And I had not trained in the ocean, and it was so cold, and the waves were so strong that I started to panic like 90 seconds into the race, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, how am I going to – I can't believe this. I've trained for a year. I'm starting to panic. What am I going to do? And this internal thing kicked in for me um, <laughs> about halfway between the shore and the first buoy that I had to turn right to swim parallel to the beach on, where I just got mad. 
<laughs> said, I'm not going out before the first buoy. I can drown at the first buoy if I want to, but I'm not going out of this race at the first buoy. And so I did whatever I could, which was a lot of swimming underwater and a lot of not doing some of the things that I had trained to do to get to that buoy. And once I turned the buoy, I started moving just steadily, buoy to buoy down the, down the, down the pathway, uh, down the course, I should say. And I got through the swim. And by the time I was back on land running to get on the bike, I was having the time of my life. And while that was a really hard experience, by the time I was done, I was really tired. Uh, the run was very difficult for me by then. I felt better than I had maybe ever felt. And I was blown away by the support of the people on the course with me, running by me, uh, encouraging me, the people who were alongside cheering everybody on. It was something that was new to me. I, I had told myself for a lot of my life that in order to get accolades and to be appreciated, I had to prove something. I had to do something. I had to, I had to show something worthwhile. And I was bringing up the rear. There were 300 people in this race, and I think I finished 290th. <laughs> and I didn't care because I had had such an amazing experience of just being cheered on because I was trying, because I was doing something. I was challenging myself. That was, that was a new thing to me, even though I had been blessed with a lot of friends and family and others who had done all they could to help me feel like I could be connected and be authentic. I had struggled with that uh, for most of my life. And this was something that was new. Um, at the end of that race, I finished, and uh, my friend who had challenged me to do this had done the race itself, and she was ecstatic, and I was ecstatic. And I'm packing up all my stuff, and there were these two people, a couple, that were um, in the race in the, the gathering area, and we were packing up our stuff. And they asked how I'd done, and I told them it was my first time. I also told them that uh, two weeks later I was going to be doing another race, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute, up in Sonoma, California, um, up in the Bay Area. And that was going to be a longer race. That one was going to be, I was just going to do the first two. It's called an aqua bike, uh, a, about a 1.2 mile swim. Uh, and this would be in the Russian river instead of the ocean. And then a 56 mile bike ride through wine country up in Sonoma County. And uh, so that was going to be longer. And I was kind of nervous about that one because it was longer, but I told him I was doing this. And these were triathlon coaches who coached people on Ironman. And this guy, and the coach, one of the guys, the guy looked at me and said, so wait a minute, this was your first triathlon and you you started out in five foot swells in the ocean to swim and you finished all this. And two weeks from now, you're going to do the Vine Man. It was called the Vine Man uh, races. And I said, yeah. And he just shook, he looked his head and he said, nobody does that. He said, you're a beast. I had never been called that before, <laughs> at least not that I could recall. And if, if I ever had been, it wasn't in a good way. <laughs> but I had never had somebody go, well, I had no idea that I was doing something that a lot of people maybe wouldn't do when they were starting out. And it was really, really encouraging and exciting for me. Fast forward two weeks later, I'm up in Sonoma, same friend is with me, and she introduced me to a whole crew of people who she did a lot of runs and races with. And this was a group of people that knew each other pretty well uh, and encouraged each other constantly. They enjoyed each other's company. They just seemed so at ease with themselves, um, but also really genuine. And they all were, had gotten into doing triathlons for different reasons. Some had done so strictly out of health and the, and the challenge of wanting to do that. Others um, overcoming various things, sometimes illnesses or uh, working through a number of different things, just so many uh, under the sun. And everybody who does triathlons has a different story. Um, there's a reason why they're choosing to do this grueling series of things 
uh, and the reason why they get up early every day and train for these things and put and put punish their bodies uh, to get there. But I had never met a group of people this light, this committed to themselves and to each other that had so much fun all the time, even though they were doing stuff that was really hard work. They never knew this, but I was pre internally wide-eyed the entire time I was getting to know them and listening to them and observing them, which I did a lot because it was something that was brand new. And I was, there was a part of me that was intrigued by this and excited by this and also intimidated because I, I didn't know how to really be that way. I didn't really, or at least I didn't feel like I did. And so um, in retrospect, I might've been some faking it till I made it with this, with this group of people. But I was also naturally comfortable with them because again, they weren't expecting me to do anything other than just try. And they all said, hey, you can do it. You just got to keep going. That was the advice they always had. Just keep going, right? And they always had tips, you know, on, on different ways to make things easier. And I took them up on their advice. But nevertheless, it was, uh, it was something new. And so when this came about, it was in the middle of July in uh, Sonoma. And it gets, it gets hot there, but it wasn't a, wasn't a beastly hot day or anything like that. But again, I was only doing the, I was doing the two legs, of, first two legs of what we would call a half Ironman. So a half Ironman would be a 1.2 mile swim, that 56 mile bike ride, and then a half marathon would be a full a half iron. I was only doing the first two, which was called an aqua bike. That seemed to me to be the most uh, sensible way to go about it and introduce myself to it. So um, I did the swim in the Russian River, which was which was interesting. The river was pretty low, and I got scraped up on the rocks a, a few times. And every you know, there's people swimming all around you and kicking and at times, the water got so shallow, you had to stand up and walk because it was only about ankle deep uh, or, or knee deep. But I finished that river race, and it went easier, that one, than the ocean swim that I'd done a couple weeks beforehand. So then I jumped on the bike. And riding through Sonoma County on a bike is an experience that everybody should have at some point, particularly if you enjoy bike riding, because it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is rolling hills. Um you know, open fields of grasses and uh, shade trees. And amongst all the, the, the wineries and things like that, there are also uh, sheep farms and dairy farms and uh, small little villages and grottos and rivers. And there's, it's just beautiful. And it's this looping course. And so the course really required you to pay attention, close attention. And people are moving pretty quick. You know, some of these guys that are doing uh, men and women who were doing the full races were just blazing by on their bikes because, of course, they got a long day ahead of them doing full Ironman races. But I was just going, my goal was to finish. And I felt really good, and I, I was taking a look around, enjoying the scenery. And this is when something happened that has stuck with me since, since ever since and has been a big part of my life. So I'm riding, you know, long and there's people passing me and, you know, people say hi and, you know, encourage you and things like that. But I was, I was probably about halfway through the course at this point. And I came down this, this shallow decline and it required a right-hand turn around a small hill. So I couldn't necessarily see what was coming around the corner. Of course, there's no traffic. They've got the road cut off, you know, just for the morning so the race can go uh, unimpeded. But as I came around the corner and coming down this slope, I noticed on my right-hand side, there was this open field and it was full of sheep and goats. And there was a big white wooden uh, railed fence uh, along the way, not a picket fence, but railed. So everything horizontal and pretty much one you could lean on, look between and, you know, climb under if you needed to. 
And it went along all along the right-hand side of the road. And I was coming down, turn right, and I was going pretty good speed. I was uh, trying to gain a lot of speed coming down the hill. So I was probably going high 20 miles an hour, um, you know, closer to 28, 29 miles an hour. And I noticed, <laughs> I go along, this line of goats, must have been six or seven of them, lined up at the fence watching everybody go by like they were spectators at this thing. They were just very curious. And as I got closer to them, I was I, I don't think there were a whole lot of people around me at that point. As I got closer to them, the biggest one that was closest to me, I'm, I swear to all of you, stepped away from the fence, turned around, and stuck his butt out at me through the fence, like you know, trying to throw me off or something, and let out this bleat. Like, you know, and I saw it and I started to laugh because I thought it was hilarious. And then uh, suddenly I felt the road under me start to give way. And I looked down in a panic and I was coming off the pavement. I'd been distracted by the goat, by the goat butt, and I'd hit the gravel on the side of the road and I'd hit it at a pretty high speed. And I could, I had that half second of terror of believing I was about to wipe out on this course at a high speed and that I was about to be injured. And I managed somehow to recover, not crash, but get right back on the road. Uh, my back tire slid a little bit uh, and I panicked and my heart jumped up into my throat. But nevertheless, all of a sudden I was back on the road and I turned and looked back. And I, I'm telling you, I swear those goats were laughing at me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, but I turned back and looked and that goat still had his butt sticking out there at me. But I'd almost crashed. And somebody nearby came by and, and just checked, are you okay? They must have seen it from, from behind. I said, I said, yeah, I'm okay. I started laughing and I, I think I said to myself or to them, I can't quite remember, got to watch out for goat butt. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. And so I finished the rest of the race. Uh, and the reminder to me was keep your eye on the road. <laughs> what's right in front of you matters. You can enjoy the scenery. You can enjoy what's happening. And you know you've got a long course to go but you cannot ignore what is right in front of you. And so I finished the race. Everybody else that was in this group that I was with were doing longer races, either the half irons all the way through or full Ironman races. And so I was going to be the first one done and everybody knew that. So I, I finished, I felt great. I got my medal. I stowed my bike, I changed my clothes and I came back and watched other people finish these races one at a time. And it was really inspiring to watch. And, Everybody was cheering me on as I finished. Um, people didn't know me. People were really excited for me. And then I'm cheering on people that I've just met and being excited for them. And it was just one of the most positive, uplifting experiences I've had with this warning, thanks to the goat butt, right in the middle. So the day finishes. Everybody's done. We all collect and we all go to this pub nearby the race. And I tell this story. Well, I should have known with this group that what was going to happen was not only were they going to love that story and appreciate it deeply for all the reasons I just listed and also because it's funny, but I immediately became nicknamed goat butt in that group and it stuck. <laughs> so with that group, um, I became, and as far as I know, I still am, I've lost contact with, with most of them. Uh, I still am goat butt uh, and it comes up every once in a while. I'll get a little note from somebody on Facebook or something like that. How's it going? Go, but how are things going? And uh, they may not even remember the story anymore of where it came from. But nevertheless, I became that uh, to some people. Now, the thing for me uh, about it, though, that whole experience, 
became so profoundly important a number of months later. When I had been given so much encouragement and strength through the process of training for a year and then doing these races and being connected to these people and connected to myself in ways that I hadn't been and vulnerable in ways that I hadn't been, that I was able to start pulling myself out of in the aftermath of those races, pulling myself further and further away from all the problems that I had created for myself. I was still struggling to tell people what was going on or what I was dealing with, but at least I felt like I was making steps towards a healthier life. Problem that happened six months later is all the consequences of previous disastrous things uh, that I had done, that I had not done, all came together and required me to start my life all over again. And I was reflecting not too long ago on how important the goat butt legend was, this true story, because that whole thing came to encapsulate all that I had learned and all that I had needed. That when I had to make, I had to run the most difficult race I was ever going to run, starting my life all over again, I'd already done something like that before. I'd already learned what it was like to put one foot in front of, the, of another, to train, to do something each day, to be focused on a larger goal, larger aim, but to know that I couldn't rush it, that I just needed to do that. When you are in a triathlon race, it is one, uh, one, stroke, in, one stroke at a time in the water, one pedal at a time on the bike, and one step at a time on the run. It wasn't all that different. I'd also learned that I actually had the capability in my body and in my emotions to do that training and to push through the fear and the fatigue and all the things that come up on a race. I felt all the same things when everything began to shift around me. I, so I was familiar with the feeling and I had an idea of what I needed to do. I needed to take steps. I also needed to focus on what was right in front of me because if I didn't focus on what was right in front of me, like what would happen when I saw the goat butt, I was going to crash. I also needed community. It was something that I had struggled to really feel connected to, again, despite the fact that I had a number of very close friends and family who were always willing, in retrospect, I know now, and always did accept me for all of my imperfections and didn't need me to prove anything. I just didn't believe that yet. This had helped me do that, and so I sought out when I moved to, back to the Pacific Northwest, I sought out community, first in recovery circles and then increasingly in other ones. And I've continued to build those circles ever since. I would not have known what that felt like. I would have not have known what it felt like to be vulnerable and open up and not have to do things and perform and prove to other people had I not had this experience of doing all this. And because with that, really what that is, is connection. And if you think back to the top of this show, what is what does the voiceover say? This show is all about connection. I started down the path of really understanding what that was like with, I guess, a group that I could call uh, the Goat Butt Legend All-Stars <laughs> and all of that. That's really where I, I first started to discover it. I was really able to start to really live more with that. And again, at first, it felt like the first steps of a race. Scary. Um, intimidating, challenging. I started to learn how to live with more acceptance of myself and others, love for myself and others, joy and fun, learning how to share the ups and the downs with other people, 
share my own shortcomings, my own failings, my own fears, and experience empathy by doing that, and then, in the process, learning how to have empathy and to give all those things, acceptance, love, joy, fun, sharing, to give all those things to others. So connection and presence, my eyes on the road in front of me. There could be nothing more important that I could have learned in my life back then to tell me what I needed to do, particularly in those moments when, when things got difficult and everything was overwhelming and I didn't know what was going to happen or, and I threat, felt like I was about to be overwhelmed. I would think of goat butt and say, keep your eye on the road. What is in front of you? And of course, now, 12 years later, everything I do, it seems like, has been moving in the direction of being focused on what's, what's right in front of me, on presence, becoming a certified human potential coach, writing the novel that I always wanted to write that's about a lot of this, actually, developing circles of connection and trust and love in so many different areas, and showing up as me, good and bad, flawed and not so flawed with the people that care about me and giving them the same space. It's all still works in progress. This is a race that will never really end until it does. But man, the legend of goat butt is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given in my life. And I, I mean, that goat can't be around anymore. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he or she is somewhere, but I am grateful for that experience. And so I wanted to share that with you today just as a way to not only have you get to know me a little bit more, but I'm also wondering, what, what's your goat butt experience? Have you had one? Is there something that you, when you look back on, you go, whoa, I learned something really important then that I never thought I would have? My guess is if you spend a little bit of time on it, you'll, you'll go back and find it. Or maybe you'll recognize it, maybe it's happening right now. Or maybe it will in the future. And if it does in the future and you remember this story, I hope you reach out to me and let me know about it and share it with me. Because that would be another fantastic result of the true legend of goat butt would be if it helped other people see, see their own goat butts. I'm not sure I like how I said that sentence, but nevertheless, it works. So there is the legend of goat butt. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back from our break, I'll tell you a little bit more what's going on with me as we finish up this episode of This Show is All About You. Come on back. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880-KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Hope you enjoyed uh, today's story, the legend, the true legend of Goat Butt from my life. I enjoyed telling it to you. I enjoyed going down uh, memory lane there. Uh, what I'd like to talk about here at the end is just kind of branching off of that, talking about some things that are going on with me. Uh, really, you know, the, the, it was such a, such a fun thing to talk about as I've been sitting here in the studio during the break uh, reflecting on it. 
and how appreciative I am for the community that I have, how appreciative I am to understand more what presence means and how to operate within it. Uh, more appreciation for the increasing, always the increasing levels of acceptance I'm having for who I am and how I am um, and cognizant of the things that I do well and cognizant of the things that I still have to work on. Uh, most important in there are, are kind of unraveling kind of the old ways of doing things or old, um, old, old mentalities, I guess, or emotional states. I think that's something that will continue to be a challenge through my whole life um, because I'm human. <laughs> I think it's the same for everybody. But one of the things that, that in leading into what, what's going on with me uh, today, besides just kind of going one step at a time and with all the different things that I have going on, all of which are, are good in my life, um, sometimes it's hard to know what steps to take in what directions. Uh, but that reminder that to simply just take a step uh, <laughs> and pick something and go is always a, a good thing to remember. I don't always act on it as quickly as, as I would like, but I continue to work on acting on those things faster. The biggest thing in there, though, what happens to me is, is with things like, you know, two podcasts, book projects, uh, particularly a novel I'm trying to, to pitch and get published, um, you know, all the, the work I do elsewhere, all those things together, sometimes um, I can freeze up, you know, with what to do next. And underneath that is, is fear of various things, right? It could be fear of, sometimes fear, it's for me, of, of taking a quote-unquote wrong step or doing something uh, that doesn't come out perfectly or doesn't quite work or turns out to be harder than I anticipated. And one of the challenges I continue to work through is not worrying so much about that. I'm better at it now than I was six days ago, six weeks ago, six years ago, uh, and longer. But nevertheless, it's still something um, because I want things to work. And yet what ends up happening is when I freeze up like that, I'm not moving anything. Um, and then outside circumstances begin to dictate more of what my options are. At least that's the fear. And so sometimes I have to remind myself that, that the initiative is all mine to do things. So I've shared in previous weeks, you know, I've got revamps of my website that are on the way and that's part of this kind of pushing that forward. And, you know, talking about getting my book published, um, I'm trying the traditional route, looking for an agent, looking for a publisher. And uh, that's challenging. And one of the interesting things I noticed as I was preparing today's show about The Legend of Goat Butt was I, I'm in a writing community, both uh, one locally here in the Pacific Northwest and then online with, with a number of writers all in the same boat, all trying to get books published, all giving each other feedback and giving support. And yet I, I don't think I have connected with that or been vulnerable with that the way I was with uh, the Goat Butt All-Stars <laughs> once upon a time. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. And, and it's probably a mixture of all the ingredients that I just, that I just listed. Uh, and I just haven't connected with this group as much, at least not yet. And I know that would be helpful to, to hear the stories of other people and to have empathy for them and to, to feel their empathy for me. That kind of support is really helpful. It hasn't happened yet. So I'm I'm needing to lean into that a little bit more. So I've been, I've been kind of gently branching out a little bit in these online groups that I'm in. And, and I've sent emails into this in-person group that I just joined not too long ago. I still haven't gotten to know a lot of people there. Trying to kind of get myself into that a little bit more. And I'm finding myself more timid than I, than I expected to be. 
And so I'm working through that. That's one area that I'm, I'm looking at. And I'm reminding myself that, you know, my past performances and things don't have to be a, a harbinger for how things are going to go today or tomorrow. So one of the other things that I've been experiencing too, um, I get, I, as you know, up front listening to this show, I love to read just about anything. Um, particularly though, things that have to do with, with spiritual matters, with emotional health, with subjects around coaching. So all different types of wellness, those types of things. And one of the things I've been into recently is taking a look at, um, at dreams, believe it or not, and not necessarily dream interpretation, but dream engagement. Um, and there's a number of different writers who write about this. And one of the things that I find so intriguing about it is this idea that um, with enough preparation and enough reflection and enough uh, getting centered and presence, um, we can get a lot from our dreams and actually ask the subconscious, if you will, ask subconscious for some guidance on some things. And, and just to kind of see what gets unlocked in the subconscious. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting experience. I've been doing this for uh, a few weeks. And um, only recently have I had, uh, did I have a dream, and it was during a nap, it wasn't even an overnight dream, where something really significant happened. And it was the first time I had a dream that I actually felt like I had control over, like I knew I was dreaming in it. And I was doing things like jumping really far in one bound because <laughs> I was wanting to, or, or I built a rocket ship and was flying in a rocket ship. And it was doing all these things that I really enjoyed doing. Um, nothing, nothing crazy or outlandish, but it was more about being in control of what was happening around me. I was taking the initiative and jumping into things that I was genuinely enjoying. I remember laughing hysterically as I was taking these big long jumps over buildings and, and flying up out into space because it's always been a dream of mine to go to space. And it was just so fun. And I woke up from this dream rejuvenated and focused and wondering, what does that tell me? Well, I spent some time reflecting on it. I wrote down what happened and I promptly didn't do too much with it. But as I, as I spent time just kind of letting it settle, I realized what it was showing me was something that I was aware of in my conscious, um, my conscious realm, but really needed that reinforcement. And that was, um, I don't need to wait around for things to happen. And what can happen is when I'm in that free space, that is part of what I'm actually doing is I'm waiting for something to happen. Even if I don't realize I'm doing it, I am waiting. And even if I don't feel like I'm actually waiting, something, things will happen. Or more importantly, in the case of publishing a book, things won't happen. Because if I'm not putting query letters out there to agents and to publishers, they're not going to be in a position to say yes or no. If I'm not pursuing what it might be, what might be beneficial about self-publishing, the book's not going to publish itself either. So I've been asking myself a lot these last handful of days, what are some things I can do to really channel and, for lack of a better term, take control of what I can control when it comes to getting my book published, when it comes to broadening out my audiences for this and other podcasts, for building up a coaching practice, for all these other things. And what that dream seem to indicate to me, or at least the lesson I'm choosing to draw from it, is I just have to act. One step at a time, one pedal at a time, one stroke swimming at a time. It's the perfect side-by-side -side, uh, lesson from today's story. 
And it's something that I have been reminded of a number of times before just the last few days. And I'm willing to be reminded of it, however long it takes, for me to continue to take steps to actually do that. And I have some ideas of what those next steps might be. I haven't worked through all of them yet, but I'm really excited about them because they've come out of conversations with various people, some of which were very direct conversations, some were just opportunities that have come out. But I am wondering, what can I actually do myself? It's a question that I haven't asked nearly as often as I think I thought I have. That was a really weird sentence, but I think you follow me. So to me, the next steps are finding what that piece is. And the only way to find that piece is, is to take steps to find out more information. So I'm in an information gathering stage and I'm in a big idea stage and I'm in a big questions. Could I actually do that stage? And I'm excited about the idea of a number of things, but what I'm excited about is really what's underneath that. The possibility of connecting with my ability to just do these things, to take more direct action to move them forward. I wonder to what degree any of you can relate to that, because it seems to me that's not an all, not an all uncommon set of challenges that we all face. We can all fall into fight, flight, or freeze, and we don't often realize that we can also engage in flow. And so for me, the idea is not so much to try and force the issue and make things happen and slam on the, the proverbial accelerator and lose control of the car or pick my eyes up off the road and crash because I'm distracted by whatever the goat butt happens to be in a certain situation. But instead, opening up from a position of presence and flow to just do what's right in front of me, to just connect and to engage. And one of the things I'm learning is that when something comes up and tickles my brain and says, oh, yeah, you should really do that, or, oh, wow, you're, you're, you need to do that for the next step, instead of just going, okay, let me jot that down on a list, if at all possible, just take that as the prompt to go ahead and do it <laughs> while I'm thinking about it. I'm not always really good at that. I like to make these lists on the side and go, I need to do this and this. The problem with that, though, is if I make the list too long, suddenly the list becomes incredibly daunting and I can find ways to avoid it or I can find ways to cherry pick from it um, and go to the ones that feel a little bit easier, or maybe take a little bit less time. But all those things are stories in my head because when I'm feeling connected with myself and in that kind of peaceful present state, things just kind of tend to get done. And I'm still learning to really trust that and to build on that. And again, it'll be a lifelong process and all of those things. But I'm, I'm excited to share these ideas with you um, as they come together. And I don't mean to make it like every week at this portion of the program, to make it sound like I'm giving you some teaser that's never going to have some payoff. That is not my intention. But I think it's valuable to share that because it's illustrative of how these things sometimes take time to come together. And there's a lot of mulling over and a lot of, of experimenting and trying things out and hit and miss and uh, going down blind alleys and coming back out. And there are sometimes I feel a sense of urgency around these things, but sometimes the urgency is what actually slows me down because 
when I'm moving with urgency, sometimes what can happen is I put pressure on myself to get each move exactly right. Because if I don't get it exactly right, the story I tell myself is I've wasted time. And I don't want to waste time because I want to, I want to move with urgency. Hopefully, you can see how self-defeating that is, <laughs> the same way I do as I'm laying it out. Because I'm not going to do everything perfectly. I'm not going to take those perfect steps. I need to be willing to explore and do the race. Do the steps. Do the training. Pick your triathlon metaphor in order to get there. And everybody does it differently. But the one thing they all have in common is they do it. They take those steps. And so with all that taken together, that's where I'm at. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to share stuff uh, with you more specifically on what's happening with this in the very near future. But in the meantime, I really appreciate your interest, your support, your listening to this show, your sharing it with other people, because that's a big part of this. I really have deep appreciation for all of you taking the time out of your day to listen to this and to consider what I put in front of you every week. So thank you for doing that. That's what I have for you today on this episode of This Show Is All About You. I hope you enjoyed the true legend of Goat Butt. Please make sure you go visit my webpage at wordsbyjdk.com. There's other stories there, ones from my own life, as well as uh, essays, creative writing stories, poetry, a whole lot there from my writing side if you are interested in knowing more. And you can also reach out to me directly through there. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I look forward uh, to hearing from all of you. As always, I like to wrap up the show the same way with big thank yous. Uh, this show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, mix master. Thank you, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Please check them out at airsci.org. And the original theme music for this show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Matthew Masuyama, Ann Foster, Dean Cameron, Justin Park, Ashley Kniebel, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to Ingrid Johnson, who all those years ago believed in me and challenged me to discover something, triathlons, community, and inner peace, that I never believed I could or would do anything to achieve. So much good has rolled down ever since as a result. So thank you, Ingrid. Thanks also to the Goat Butt Triathlon All-Stars for all they showed me back then without even knowing what they were giving me. Though it's been years, I love you all and you know who you are. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And finally, to send you off for the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. When we face dragons, we can choose to flee or we can choose to triumph. Chins up, everyone.